0: to the med street journal
1: hello and welcome to another episode of the med street journal podcast i'm your host today rodney who today i'm joined by another pretty special guest miss jennifer Petrosky she is the life sciences director at qad and i'm excited to kind of have her on and give her an opportunity to share what she's been working on in the industry uh, so with that being said jennifer welcome to the podcast
0: thank you Rodney. good to be here
1: Yeah. So yeah, let's just jump right into it. Why don't you give people a quick background of kind of who you are and how you got into this industry, into this niche?
0: Yes, I can do that. Certainly. I um, am the life sciences director at QAD, which is a global enterprise software company. We've been around since 1979. So definitely had some experience in uh, in the digital space working with medical device and life sciences manufacturers all over the world for for a long time so i joined qad um, only just about six months ago so drinking from the um, the fire has a bit coming up to speed on all things qAD but ultimately i own the responsibility for all things life sciences as it pertains to product strategy uh, and marketing so i work very closely with field sales as well as r d to understand you know, digital technologies, where we need to be going from a life sciences perspective and how we can best support life sciences manufacturers. So I have uh, started as an application engineer coming out of a school as a chemical engineer, so stayed pretty close to the enterprise software space for uh, a little over 20 years now. Um, started in the analytics side and then went into the control system side. Um, modeling and simulation side and, and now on the, um, the manufacturing side so it's been a it's been a good good stent and excited to take things uh, a little bit further now on the manufacturing side
1: hey i like your, your vast background it's mm-hmm. very interesting um, so a question i got is how has the pandemic accelerated the pace of digital transformation in the life sciences field
0: Yeah, I think you know the pandemic obviously has has hit all of us um, in different ways, but certainly I think more than anyone, any industry, um, you know, I think life sciences has had the brunt of it, right? From delaying um, elective procedures, but certainly being on the front line of helping, you know, um, provide cures um, to to this. virus and and ultimately therapeutics and equipment and PPE, all the the great things that are keeping people safe these days. So they're certainly on the front line. So I think if you think about enterprise technology and digital solutions, um, you know, the life sciences industry has been a bit of a laggard you could say in terms of a digital technology adoption. And I don't mean to say that, you know, they're not pushing the boundaries obviously on on innovations and cures and therapeutics, because they are obviously doing amazing things. Um, And there's, there's some great silver linings, right. And this, in this pandemic in terms of what we learned, but if you think about the regulatory aspect of the industry um, you know, the, the industry is a bit of a laggard in the sense that, you know, once they have, validated a process or have proven a process that works to keep patients safe. Uh, they've proven the efficacy of their products. They've proven the efficacy and safety of their of their drugs. Certainly, they don't necessarily want to change how that's manufactured or, or delivered today. But I think the pandemic certainly has um, shifted that thinking a little bit, right? As you think about the remote workforce, not obviously being able to go in and, and produce vaccines, how do you Make sure you get those drugs and therapeutics to patients that need them. So they've had to reevaluate, you know, how do we best connect our workers? And how do we automate the manufacturing uh, line, you know, when we don't have as many people as we think we might have, right? If people are out sick or you have to um, have, you know, appropriate spacing. Everything is basically shifted. So looking at digital solutions that can help expedite. And make more efficient uh the collaboration from you know with remote workforces and and decision makers of the organizations around the world um but also automate you know different decision making and automate different processes and being able to you know keep the business moving forward um as they as they needed to
1: Thing when you're talking about like digital transformation i'm thinking like going from like newspapers like email or like radio to like podcasts or TV to like YouTube. But when you're talking about digital transformation and like relating to like life sciences, like what do you mean specifically?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, if you think about um let's take the FDA, you know, regulatory space, you know, and how the vaccines even today um have been able, you know, to get to market so quickly. The FDA has currently and historically, you know, depended on human clinical trials and animal clinical trials. Well, today, you know, they're starting to test in what they call in silico um, simulations. So they can actually use digital solutions. They can use uh, finite element analysis, you know, modeling techniques and uh, computer modeling algorithms to, to help, you know, prove that these devices are going to be safe, that these, you know, vaccines are going to be effective. So I think that's one, obviously, amazing uh, example where digital solutions are definitely expediting the delivery of um, advanced thera- therapeutics. But, you know, there's also manufacturing-based ones as well. So if you think of AI, right, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms, um typically, you know, in a a manufacturing facility, you know, you have batch process after batch process or um, a device that's being assembled. Um, But after a certain amount of time, you know, that data typically, you know, is with that worker worker. And historically, you know, that person on the manufacturing shop floor basically owned all that data, right? They owned all that know-how. And when that person goes out sick, you know, what happens when you need someone to come in and, and fill that spot? So, tools like AI and machine learning and even um, adaptive um, enterprise, you know, resource planning solutions uh, can help really automate and really fill those voids of of the data gap, right? What was done in this process, you know, two weeks ago? How did we optimize or how do we optimize to better perform um, this, this production run? Or how do we um, from a compliance or regulatory perspective, how do we ensure that, you know, this procedure was followed and and this um, lot of vaccines, right, was signed off on, and had and adhered to and, and met this, you know, quality criteria uh, that the FDA and other regulators expect? So all that can be automated, all of that can can be facilitated, and you don't have um, manual errors, you know, someone punching in or writing down on a piece of paper. And um, getting a, a physical sign off from um, you know some other person that may not be there either. So a lot of these digital tools are transforming the way life sciences manufacturers and life sciences and, uh, co- companies are operating and, and getting therapeutics and vaccines and, and medical devices to market sooner.
1: Dang. So when you look at the market as a whole, how do you even know like what to start with first? Like if you're one of these companies who are looking to utilize different technology, how do you go about starting that process?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, certainly life sciences companies have a lot of challenges to weigh, right? They obviously want to make sure they get a um, high quality product to market quickly. They want to make sure they're operating a sustainable business, but they also have the regulatory and compliance, you know, quote unquote, burden that they have to adhere to as well. Um, So I think going into this with um, obviously the patient in mind, um, you know, how are we going to best serve the patient? But I also think you have to have quality um, in mind at the beginning. You know, a lot of these companies, life sciences companies, and even, you know, different technology companies that are pivoting, you know, into the life sciences space, they think, oh, well, you know, I have a technology that I can, you know, provide, um, you're you're seeing new entrants in the diagnostic market, uh, for example. So they wanna get a product to market quickly, but they don't think about quality first. So my recommendation, and I think, um, you know, a lot of the leading companies that do, that are successful, right? Because you do have um, some failure rate in 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 the life sciences startup world. And I would say those folks typically don't think about quality first, but if you kind of build your product and manufacture your products with quality in mind at the get-go. I think you instill that, you know, high quality and patient efficacy and safety risk profile first. uh, And you're not sacrificing that in the end when you get to market uh, quickly, and then suddenly you try to sell to a particular customer and they say, oh, well, um, you know, we're gonna go in and audit you to make sure, you know, you do have an effective and and safe product. Well, then they say, oh, about that, yeah. let me get back to you on that. <laughs> so I think they they will sometimes run into, you know, stumbling blocks. And I've seen it, you know, where they run into situations where, you know, there's a bit of a re-engineering that takes place to think about, oh, yeah, let's make sure, you know, this is a, an effective uh, product. So keeping quality in mind from the get-go, I think, is, is certainly where companies can start. And having that enterprise um, mind, um, you know, where you can think about manufacturing, you can think about engineering and thinking about, you know, bringing those cross-functional teams together to really make sure you think through, you know, all the different parts of of the process and and what's important.
1: Okay, dang. It's very high level. There's like a lot of different pieces (laughs) of the puzzle that all play like an important role in the larger scope of things. Mm -hmm. Dang. And like, just looking at kind of how things have progressed over the last year with the pandemic and everything, just some basic examples of how people are like using Zoom now, like that's the mm-hmm. norm. But how the pandemic kind of accelerated the adoption of new tools within the life sciences industry? Like what kind of trends do you see too?
0: Yeah, I, you know, um, the cloud, I would say, is probably the number one shift we're seeing, you know, from a life sciences perspective. Again, before COVID, you had, you know, some very early adopters, you know, moving on-prem, right, on-premise solutions to the cloud where they're taking all their systems and entrusting trusting either you know a, a public cloud or you know a private cloud to make sure all of their you know systems can be accessed. So I would say that's probably the biggest shift we've seen you know in the last eight to, to 12 months. Um, and, and I think that's going pretty smoothly. I do think it takes a, a, a bit of a leap of faith, but the good news is that, you know, other industries, you know, and, uh, for example, in automotive, you know, the aerospace industry a lot of industrial equipment companies have have been in the cloud and, and doing quite well. So certainly um, security, right, was a, a big issue um, very early on, but today we're seeing a lot of those issues resolved. Um, so I think cloud is, is, is being that number one trend, we're seeing um, lever. you know, data is the new gold, right? Um, and, and today, in the 21st century, so being able to access that data, but not only access the data, but, you know, making intelligence of that data. And I mentioned uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, and even things like RPA, right? Um, the, the technologies that we can leverage that will help us make intelligence of the data and and best utilized, you know, very common um, types of tasks um, so that we can be more efficient. So I would say those are the the three big ones from a manufacturing perspective. And then if you think even just from a personal example, um, you know, a lot of new drug and new product development efforts were stalled um, through the pandemic. Um, Obviously, you know, clinical trials were stalled and you just didn't have access to patients and didn't have access to these uh, um, human clinical trials. But I think what was really interesting and came out of the pandemic is, is the mobility, right? You, now you have, you know, patient groups that were willing to participate in remote trials. You have patients that were willing to contribute, um, you know, information and patient information, obviously in a secure way um, so that these trials could continue and uh, progress to
1: get new new products to market. Dang, it's pretty interesting to see how like everyone's been impacted and kind of like how people have like navigated this whole like pandemic really. Um, yeah. But, but even oh. with like all these like companies that are making moves and like really taking advantage of the opportunity, like I know there's still roadblocks, there's still obstacles. So like, what do you think like are the biggest challenges that like these companies are facing?
0: you know, there certainly are additional challenges to overcome. Um, you know, the supply chain has been, obviously, you've never heard supply chain talked about as much as you have, uh, as we have during the, the pandemic. So I think, you know, the supply chain companies are, are starting to look at, you know, who, where are our, our suppliers today? And, you know, do we need to think about having, you know, redundancy of, of and better redundancy of suppliers when there is a, a, a potential shutdown. And you know, that certainly happens. Look at the cargo ship, right, that got stuck in the in the canal there. So I think we're just, you know, these disruptions are going to continue. And the companies that are best prepared to navigate and be agile enough to, to, to move around these obstacles are, are going to be key. But supply chain, I think, is probably the, the biggest one right now that companies are, are starting to think about, you know, how do we build redundancy into the supply chain? but also thinking about safety stock, right? Um, and, and where we can get access, you know, to raw materials um, that we, you know, we didn't have before. So it's it's definitely a, a global topic. It's a national topic and it's certainly an industry industry topic as well. But, you know, you talked about overcoming the challenges as well. And, and I think there's just some great silver linings that, you know, we can take out of this that we've learned. Um, and, and one of which is the collaboration, right? I think the extraordinary collaboration that we've seen amongst the industry and across industries to get, um, you know, therapies and, and products to, to patients to keep us safe and to keep us healthy has been, has been amazing to watch.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And so when you look back at everything that's been going on like from where we were to where we are now things have obviously have changed for better or for worse. Um, But from your perspective, what are the biggest changes um, that the pandemic has brought? And which one of these changes do you see kind of sticking around for the next 20 years or so?
0: Yeah, that's a a great question. Um, You know, I talked about agility a little bit before, but I think, you know, that business agility, being able to you know, make decisions on the fly and, um, having, a you know, digital technologies that can enable that transition and, and that pivot, um, you know, and strategies is going to be key. So just enabling that collaboration, I think is key in, in your digital solutions. Um, automation is, is going to be key, but certainly, um, you know, digital is, is here to stay. And, uh, yeah, I think it'll be an extraordinary next 10 years. It's been an extraordinary past 10 years and and yeah, a lot of exciting times to come for sure.
1: Damn. Yeah, that does sound pretty cool. But mm-hmm. what, what do you say to the people who like are slow to kind of adapt this new technology? Like what are some negative consequences of them not getting on board?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, a lot of life sciences companies were risk averse and and have always been risk averse, but I think, you know, today it's not about, um, when, um, or it's not about moving to the cloud, right? Should we move to the cloud or should we not move to the cloud? Should we adopt, you know, these digital technologies or should we not adopt the digital technology? You know, you think about IOT and the connectivity on the shop floor to, you know, engineering and making sure quality information is, um, uh, available across the enterprise, right? It's not if, but when. And if you want to compete in this market, you have to you have to invest. So, think about how you you know can can do that. You don't certainly have to uh, you know buy everything and invest in everything right away. I think there is a you know a step by step process that you can take. But certainly sure. having that big you know picture in mind with that enterprise adaptability and that enterprise agility that can connect your, or you know, enterprise across uh, the regions and the globe and so that you can better collaborate and, and make decisions on the fly is going to be critical.
1: Dang, okay. So what would you say is like, like when you think of a transformation, you think of like before and after and like the after would be like success and you think of success, that'd be like your ideal situation. So if you're a company who's kind of, slow to adopt technology and like in that state of mind and become like a successful model of someone who's adopted technology. Like what does that look like?
0: Yeah, so I think this you know company is digitally enabled, right? They have um their manufacturing shop floor um um, assets you know connected they have all the data available to the people that need it the the systems are are automated and if a system goes down or if there's a, a defect right it knows how to self-correct um and it can flag um certain individuals on the shop floor um you know to get involved if there's an issue but it's making sure that these these manufacturing uh, sites run seamlessly. They're effective. They can be resilient. They can be agile. Um, and if you get a situation where you have another disruption, you know, supply chain or raw material issue, you can pivot and you know how to make that decision quickly, so you don't have to stop sending products um, to the front line, right, to keep us safe.
1: Damn. Okay self-correct kind of helps reduce friction on their end as well if you kind yeah. of look at it from a high level it makes it easier on their end it's a lot more benefits. Um, the last question I got is like what sort of advice would you have for companies um, who are looking to adopt new technology and get new technology in the life sciences field?
0: So, I think you have to do your research, right? Um, make sure you're asking all the the companies out there the right questions. make sure that they um, the companies that you talk to, you know understand this industry. There's a lot of different you know technology providers out there, but I think the the most important ones are the ones that um, know your business. in the life sciences industry, you know there's some some definitely unique things that um, you know we pay attention to that, other industries don't. So, having that industry expertise is is critical. So, do your research. Um, reach out to your to your colleagues in industry. You know, there are players um, and movers out there that are adopting you know digital te- uh, digital transformations, and digital technologies that are enabling them to to serve their patients um, around the world. So, do the research. Connect with your peers, and yeah, reach out and, and stay connected.
1: Hey, okay. Staying connected. So it's a good piece of advice. Um, Perfect way to end uh, this main segment of the podcast. But I like to end each episode with a little lighter exercise, something I call the rapid fire round. So I'm just going to ask you a set of questions and you give me whatever answer you come up with. All right. Okay. All right. So question number one, what is your favorite book of all time?
0: Oh my goodness. You know, I have a few favorites, but the one that um, comes to mind is uh, The World is Flat. <laughs> and I, I don't have the author's name, gosh, Tom, the, name, the author's slipping my mind, but Tom Friedman. And uh, I read that years ago, right around, you know, Y2K, <laughs> which is going to date me a little bit, but I thought it was just very eye-opening, you know, that. Um, we're all connected, right? The, the world is flat, and I think there's a lot of great knowledge um, in different places, and a lot of great know-how. And I and think the, the better we can leverage, you know, our supply chains and our and our suppliers, um, the better dec- decisions we can make. And especially from a life sciences perspective, you know, we want to take the best technology that's available wherever it is, right? And and serve patients and treat patients um, that ultimately need them the most. So. That's that was a book that really, I think, opened my eyes years and years ago to that, you know, technology is a very powerful thing. And I think it can bring tremendous value to the world.
1: Oh, I agree. That was a good answer. (laughs) Number two, who is the most influential person in your life or career?
0: Most influential person. Gosh, um, I think that that's a multi part answer as well. But, um, you know, my father was obviously a huge influence on me uh, from a technology perspective. Um, he was a ham operator, you know, back in the day talking to um, Russia and, and countries before there was, you know, the internet. So he inspired me to, 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 to learn Morse code and to get close to technology and to, you know, want to become a doctor, a physician, astronaut. Of course, I landed in software technology for for life sciences, but it's pretty close, right?
1: (laughs) Nice. Shout out to him.
0: Yeah.
1: Number three, what is one goal you want to accomplish this year?
0: Oh my gosh. Well, prior to two weeks ago, that was getting my, uh, my kids back into school full-time. Um my goal has some that that goal has somewhat been uh, accomplished right they just started back uh, 2 weeks ago here in the in north carolina so that's been a, a great thing um yeah maybe another goal is just to to stay active on my peloton i've uh that's been one change during covid that i have uh, bought a bought a peloton so i've enjoyed it
1: nice commitment i like yeah. it <laughs> Um last but not least, what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20-year-old self?
0: Oh gosh. Um (laughs) you know, I have to think about now that now like I have children, right? It's like, what would I tell them? (laughs) And it's just gonna be know, Uh, turn around and bite me a little bit. No, I'm kidding. But um, you know, I think you just have to take you know, chances and, and get out of your comfort zone sometimes. Um, you know, I think sometimes I, you know, just stayed where I knew, um, I was most comfortable and I would say, you know, as I look back, you know, I would have, you know, maybe taken a few more chances, but I honestly can look back and say, I, I don't have regrets. I'm, I'm always one to say that, you know, I'm very grateful for, for every, Um, opportunity that I've been given and I try to make the most of it so yeah but you know I think for young people today too um, you know they don't know what they don't know and um, you know I'm hugely encouraging folks to young people to stay and get closer to the technology field I think um, manufacturing is just a uh, an amazing opportunity for for the United States and I'm, I'm you know right now we're in a bit of a of a, a hiring gap, right? We don't have the, the technology workforce in America that we need um, to make a su- sustainable country and contributor to the, to the world stage. So I'm really encouraging young people to, to get in the technology field and and rethink manufacturing in new ways, because there's just some really cool things that are, that are happening. And all these video games, right? I mean, they're learning these things for a reason. So if you think about virtual reality and augmented reality on the shop floor and uh, 3D design and, and modeling and simulation. There's just some really cool things happening there. So stay uh, stay in the manufacturing field and get close to it if you're not.
1: <laughs> I like it. Good advice. Very inspirational. Technology is powerful. But yeah, that being said, Jennifer, I think that's a perfect way to um, end today's episode. So I just want to thank you again for jumping on and kind of sharing your story, sharing your journey of what you're doing in the life sciences industry. Um, but before you go, where could people connect with you? What could they learn more about you? Go ahead.
0: Yes, thank you, Rodney. It's been a pleasure being with you today. Thanks for having me on and, and sharing a little bit of a you know perspective uh, from my side of the world. Anyway, so yeah, you can um, follow me on uh, on Twitter um, or you know certainly on on LinkedIn. I do try to post um, different blogs from time to time. Um, I took a break for a little bit there, but starting to get back into that um, now. So, yeah, please reach out. Also, you have my email, Jennifer.Petroski at QAD.com. So reach out anytime.
1: Awesome. And I'll be sure to include all those links in the resources section. Uh, But with that being said, that ends today's episode. Catch you guys on the next one.